Hi there. Thank you so much for tuning in to our Hillman Class Reunion podcast. Even though we release new episodes every week, we actually began recording prior to the COVID-19 pandemic and completed recording prior to the renewed attention towards the Black Lives Matter movement. So in earlier episodes, we do not mention these events, and in later episodes, our reflections on what is going on may seem a bit out of sync with the present. However, we want to assure you that the gravity of what we are experiencing is not lost among us. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you enjoy our first season of Hillman Class Reunion. Nothing much, you know, I'm just hanging out, chilling. <laughs> Good. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. A pleasure to hear your voice, as always. And welcome, classmates, to the 11th installment of Hillman Class Reunion. Yay! We're over halfway through the first season. And on this episode of our podcast, we will review episodes 16 and 17 from season one of A Different World. So if you've been with us before, you know the drill. If you're new, let me just remind you anyway, we structured the podcast to review each episode in chronological order. So pull out your blankets, your memories, your flasks, shot glasses, champagne flukes, whatever it is, and come hang out on the choir with us for a minute as we delve into some interesting episodes of A Different World. So Portia, Let's start with episode 16 from season one. What's going on there? All right. So episode 16 is entitled The Show Must Go On. And this episode aired originally on February 18th, 1988. And the following is the summary of this particular episode. Denise and Whitley earn roles in Maggie's adaptation of the story of Adam and Eve. And in the process, they become real-life rivals for the actor playing Adam. That's a little love triangle. Mm-hmm. All right. So for this episode, we have director Kim Friedman. I feel like this is a new name for us um, so far in this season. I think you're right. This is my first time. It's, it sounds new to me. So Kim Friedman, she is an accomplished television director throughout the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, having directed episodes of Alice, Knott's Landing, Dynasty, Love Boat, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, In the House, and Beverly Hills 90210. My old heads out there will know exactly what those shows were. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that that uh, triggered all kinds of nostalgia for y'all. <laughs> Up here listed as the writers for this episode are Gary Dudzik and Stephen Peterman. Mm-hmm. So they seem to be a bit of a writing duo. Um, and a little fun fact here, Gary and Stephen went on after a different world to write for Murphy Brown and they both won a primetime Emmy for outstanding writing in a comedy series in 1991. Oh, okay. Yes. So they know what they're doing or at least they did in 1991 when they got <laughs> <laughs> Uh Okay, so 
again, we have the group of producers that we always call out, Marcy Carsey, and Bates, Beverly Cashin, Joanne Curley-Kerner, Susan Balls-Hill, Thad Mumford, and Tom Warner. And y'all know what it is by now. You know, we out here, we'd like to do our little research on the Googles. So I decided, you know, and shout out to IMDb because that's the main. <laughs> Appreciate you. I know that's right. Say it was a lot of work. <laughs> so, you know, all I did was just scroll down just a little bit more and a familiar name popped out. Mm-hmm. So which was assistant camera operator. Now, you might say, why would you care about who's the assistant camera operator? Who is this? Right. The junior staff. <laughs> right. Well, you know, you know, this is this is part of the background. This is the crew. Most right. most people would not. I mean, unless you're in the industry, most people, you're lay right. people and we're lay people. We're just super fans. Absolutely. Um, we wouldn't know. But this particular name popped out. His name is Tony Cornelius. Now, you might ask, mm-hmm. who is Tony Cornelius? Well. Who is Tony Cornelius? Okay, there you go. Thank you. Appreciate you. Uh, What if I told you his his father's name is Don? Don Cornelius of the Soul Train. That is right. That is the Tony Cornelius. In his younger days, he was an assistant camera operator for the first season of A Different World. Nice, nice. Yes. So according to IMDb, He worked on every episode of the first season of A Different World, except for the first two episodes and the final episode. Okay. Um, Yeah. And then, of course, he went on to produce uh, Soul Train as well as the Soul Train Awards. And he is currently the executive producer of BET's American Soul, which is a fictionalized drama based on Soul Train. Nice. Yes. Okay. So he has he has continued his father's legacy. You know, we lost Don Cornelius several years ago, but the Soul Train is still moving strong. But yeah, it was really cool to kind of see this name pop up like, oh, wow. I wonder who else we might find that, you know, now we know to be, you know, something. But we didn't realize they kind of started off in this other capacity. Nice. I'm glad you were able to catch that. Shout out to Tony Cornelius. Yes, you know, we love the Black History yeah. Fact. <laughs> right. <laughs> love my Black History Fact. All right, so tell us who's in this episode. All right, so we have Denise Huxtable, played by Lisa Bonet, Jaleesa Vincent, played by Don Lewis, Maggie, Marissa Tomei, Dwayne Wayne, played by Kadeem Hardison, Whitley Gilbert, played by Jasmine Guy, Ron Johnson, played by Daryl M. Bell, Miss Letty Bostick, played by Mary Alice, there is a new character in this episode in the name of Rick Evans, played by Mr. Kenneth Ransom. Well, Kenneth Ransom is well-regarded and a longtime actor on television, film, and on the stage throughout the 80, uh, 1980s, 90s, and 2000s. And then we see also Gregory, played by Kevin Bavessur. Okay, so now we know who's in the cast and the crew, so let's get into it with these scenes. All right, so we begin with auditions for a brand new play about Adam and Eve, written by the one and only Maggie, and directed by the one and only Letty. (laughs) Whitley and Denise have been cast as Eve, Eve woman and Eve girl. Um, And they're obviously representing um, dual personalities of the same character. Now, although Ron and Dwayne auditioned for the role of Adam, 
Maggie actually wrote the play with Rick Evans in mind. He uh, finally arrives fashionably late mm-hmm. uh, for his audition, but he makes quite the impression on mm-hmm. Whitley, Denise, and Millie. We see Millie kind of swoon a little bit. Doesn't Ron get a little jealous? Yeah, yeah. Ron and Dwayne—they're <laughs> they, not really pleased with this. So you know, and and this is definitely revealed at the pit. So after this scene, they go to the pit. And we see Dwayne and Ron kind of revealing their jealousy. Um, and Dwayne in particular wants to be a part of the production, if only just to make sure Rick does not make a move on Denise. Right. Now, Jaleesa is also a part of this production. She's doing the stage manager-y kind of stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. she offers Dwayne and Ron jobs as set designers. So that's how they're going to get into this play. Now, meanwhile, Whitley and Denise are sitting there, you know, in their, in their two corners, smitten uh, with Rick after practicing with him separately. And, you know, Rick <laughs> being, being Rick, he's, he's the big man in the acting circle uh, at uh, Hellman. So he makes his moves on Denise by confiding in her, telling her that he hasn't been this satisfied with acting until he met her. She's that special. He, she brings something out in him. Mm-hmm. Now, Whitley, of course, ever aggressive. And attention grabbing. Yeah, Whitley, ever aggressive and attention grabbing. Push herself into this little conversation. They're having a moment. And uh, so now we're starting to see the beginnings of a potential love triangle. Mm-hmm. Now, where would you like to start first? I just have to add that, you know, God bless Ron and Dwayne because they had a budget of $35. <laughs> <laughs> In 1988. In 1988. And see, even though... <laughs> $35 in 1988 could probably go a lot further than it does today. That is still a pretty marginal budget for a production. But nonetheless, that was the first thing that stood out for me as I was watching it. But, you know, thinking about these relationship dynamics between the women or the heterosexual relationship dynamics between the men and the women here. Um, obviously Ron and Dwayne are threatened by Rick and his perceived effect on women. So I think, you know, Ron and Dwayne are very jealous of Rick because it seems like, you know, Ron and Dwayne are the type of guys that try to spit game, but it's not very effective. Mm -hmm. And then here comes, you know, another guy who's obviously way better than them at it and it works and they are feeling a type of way about it. So I thought, that was interesting to see. Yeah, because I, I remember, oh man, I wish I could remember the plot now. Uh, but there was a previous episode where Dwayne was really having a moment. He was talking to Coach Walter Oaks in the uh, locker room and he was just kind of like, you know, I don't get it. I don't understand how come these women don't. I mean, it might have been the episode with uh, Peggy, perhaps. I, I can't remember. It was. Yeah, it, it was. It is. It was exactly just like, right. you know, mm-hmm. I You're feel like. I'm I'm great. Like my game is on point. Yet these women aren't responding, and I'm seeing these losers. They have no game whatsoever, and they're getting all the girls. Like what is happening? <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I'm sure this is flaring up in Dwayne again, where he's just like, my game is tight. Yet this dude is out here in his leather pants, <laughs> and he just walks across the stage, and the girls scream. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> Or what am, what am I, I not, not doing? doing? <laughs> yeah, they're, you know, so 
there there is this kind of uh air of uh authority and and uh what is it uh competence with Rick because you know it's not just mm-hmm. that he might look good or whatever or maybe he knows how to talk a good game but he's he's really good his reputation precedes him he's a really good actor yeah you know, people believe him you mm-hmm. know case in point he's sitting up here telling Denise that he never you know, he wasn't he he lost his touch until he met her. And now he's an even better actor just by practicing with her for two seconds. Mm-hmm. She's just like, really? <laughs> yeah. The other thing that stood out to me in this first scene is um, basically you have Whitley and Denise at each other's throat mm-hmm. vying for the same man. And I'm really over that narrative. <laughs> <laughs> Speak on it. I was just annoyed. I'm like, why is it? Seems like across the board and lots of television shows and writing and um, just conversations in the public domain, whether it's, you know, on social media or, you know, even when you engage in conversations, when we engage in conversations with our peers, it always it always seems as though um, the women have these contentious or Lots of women have contentious relationships with each other, or it's that's portrayed that women have these um, contentious relationships with each other. And it often goes back to or the root cause of it is, you know, some man is involved. And I'm just I just I don't like that narrative. I'm just I think it's overplayed. True. It does happen in real life sometimes. But that narrative and that plot point to me is it's just exhausted. I'm over it. <laughs> right. There's enough that you can find um, that could maybe bring out that contention if that's what you want to play between uh, Whitley and Denise in particular, that you don't have to have a man mm-hmm. involved in that. Exactly. There's such different personalities, exactly. um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and perhaps that's what the writers were trying to get at, I suppose. You know, let's see what happens with two very different women go after the same thing. What does that look like? But yeah, I, I agree. I think the it's it's a it's a tired, well worn kind of device. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and you know when we get to later on, we'll probably talk a little bit more about what we would like to or what we think um, would happen if this episode were to be done today. I got a feeling that's going to be mm-hmm. one of the things that we talk about is there's perhaps this the maybe just the whole premise of this episode. <laughs> might be a little bit different yeah i will speak on that but i'll I'll wait till we get to the end okay i'll stay i'll remain in order (laughs) uh all right so we move on to rehearsals uh where we see whitley asking rick for help delivering her lines and you know in this exchange rick then confides in her telling her that she has re-energized his love for acting he didn't know what acting was until he met her. Side note, I just gave that a very hard <laughs> eye roll. But keep going. I'm sorry. I just need to insert that because, you know, we're audio. And so I just needed to add that visual. Right, right, right. But, you know, Whitley is like in hook, line and sinker. She is buying it all. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in her role as Eve Woman, uh, Whitley makes it very clear that she is very interested in what Rick has to offer. And they do the whole, you know. We're we're practicing and we're saying the lines, but I'm putting some extra juice on it to let you mm-hmm. know 
that there's some, you know, there's there's another layer to these words that I'm saying to you right now. Um, right. And yeah, so she's like, she's very interested in whatever he has to offer, acting or otherwise. Um, but Denise, as Eve girl, also shows her interest. All of this is very unprofessional, by the way. Very. <laughs> it's supposed to be rehearsing, but you know, they're also trying to get their Mac on. And so Denise and Rick almost kissed during their rehearsals. I think it might have been in the script, but you know, script or not, Dwayne breaks all that up. He don't want to see none of that. <laughs> <laughs> Dwayne and Ryan, they come in and they interrupt and they decide this is the perfect time to talk about their set design ideas. So we leave rehearsal and we go back to the pit. Um, and although Maggie is very pleased with Whitley and Denise and Rick's performances, um, Jaleesa clocks that Whitley and Denise are both throwing themselves, practically throwing themselves at Rick mm -hmm. during rehearsals. Um, Leave it to the grown woman to peep that out. <laughs> right, right. She sees it all. Meanwhile, Millie uh, is cautioning Whitley on reading too much into Rick's behavior because Whitley's just like, you know, I know that he wants me. I want him. Let, we gonna do this. But Millie's like, uh, let's, you know, let's slow down. He might just be acting. He is a good actor. Mm -hmm. But of course, Whitley's just like, absolutely not. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, so yeah, so let's talk about this. Let's kind of look at it. It's interesting. Again, two different personalities in Whitley and Denise. It's also interesting to see their flirting styles, um, where Whitley is kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm not playing games. You are going to know that I'm interested mm -hmm. in you yet. This it's not like a, not like a outright. I want you. Right. But it is a very much like I'm I'm dropping clues. I'm I'm letting you know that I like you and I'm making it very easy for you to ask me out on a date. Yeah, very very strong clues at that. Yes. Yes. And Denise, well, how would you characterize Denise's uh kind of technique? Um, I think she technique. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not technique, but I don't know, her style. Her I wouldn't call it a, a style or a technique per se, but I I would definitely say that she is, she's naive and mm -hmm. just her approach is, is a little softer. It's a little more subtle than, yeah. than what Willie is doing. But to me, Denise is just the naive girl, like. I don't know, like why? I just, why can't you see through this? But you know, it it happens to the best of us. A guy comes with, you know, some real smooth jargon and talk, and you want to believe him, so you do. But you know, he reminds me of the guy. There are these guys in the world, <laughs> not all guys, but there there are these guys in the world. I feel like they are very good at picking up on a person's vulnerabilities and their, um, what's the word I want? Their, their characteristics. So he's basically, I think the guy here is just really soaking up all the attention. He's probably used to this type of attention mm -hmm. and knows how to kind of play to the personalities and character traits of each person. And so, you know, of course, from the outside looking in, it's kind of like, girl, come on. Yeah. 
Yeah, he, he seems like his personality is flirtatious almost. His, exactly. He has a, exactly. Like, you, it's obvious that, like, this, this is who he is and how he is with everybody. And I've known guys like that. And I've, unfortunately, I've known, you know, women whom the guy has literally come in between and pretty much destroyed their relationship. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And that's a sad thing. It's very sad. You know, and then there's there's guys who do that very intentionally. You know, that that's kind of their very. thing. But then you also have people who um they they may even be accused of sending out mixed messages. They don't necessarily mean to come on to anybody, but mm-hmm. they, you know, they just kind of uh invade people's space just a little bit or you know, they they talk just a little too close to you or they, you know, they're touchy-feely. Like yeah. I remember when I was I used I was in this summer program in high school and um there was this guy who was one of the I don't know tutor counselor whatever he must have been a, a college student and you know he was cool like his his behavior was very innocent but he was one of those guys that was just kind of you know he he's a touchy feely kind of guy and I remember one time it was mm-hmm. raining I had an umbrella I was one of the few people who had an umbrella. And so he came beside me and like put his arm around my waist. And, you know, we were under the umbrella and girl, I was just like, oh my God. (laughs) And it meant nothing. But at the same time, I was like, he's touching me. But then I also realized like, he's not touching me. Like there's no meaning behind it. It's just, you know. We're just, we're right. it's wet yeah. outside, it's raining, and we're both trying to fit under this one umbrella. And also, you know, he, when he talks, right. he likes to kind of touch shoulders and, you know, arms and things like that. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it can be easy sometimes if you, you know, you might misread something or read a little too into something and you might want to try to try to do some. Yeah, don't don't think that everybody likes you because you might think that there might be some spark or some flirt or flirting or something like that is exactly and if there is something there exactly you know let it be known let let that person come out right you don't need to be doing the whole you know picking up on clues Seriously. and stuff don't don't have don't, don't start no relationship based off of some uh hieroglyphics so you got to decode no <laughs> exactly and then next thing you know, you're planning a wedding in your head. Mm-mm, don't do that, girl. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so another thing that I wanted to bring up, this was actually during the rehearsal scene. Uh, Rick was wearing this in apartheid t-shirt. Did you notice that? I did not. I'm so glad you pointed that out. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's a little thing, but it's a big thing. Because really, again, thing. we're we're establishing that these are college students. This is the late 80s. So, you know, this is contemporary for its time. Um, there were a lot of uh, college students, a lot of young people that were um, protesting um, apartheid and, and boycotting, boycotting South Africa at that time. As we know, South Africa was under apartheid. It legally began in 1948. And the negotiations uh, to end this practice began in 1990, which was the same year as Nelson Mandela, uh, Nelson Mandela's release from prison. Right. Which ultimately culminated in the 1994 election with him becoming president of South Africa. Um, 
But of course, leading, uh, you know, prior to this, gaining uh, worldwide support, anti-apartheid movements across the U.S. and Europe, especially in the 80s, gained support for boycotts in South Africa, support for government and private company divestments, and of course, the release Mm -hmm. of of Nelson Mandela. So uh, Mm -hmm. that was a very appropriate kind of t-shirt for a college student at that time. Yeah. Definitely happen, happy to see that, especially given that Hillman is an HBCU. So that is, um, you know, going into this, again, having not seen A Different World in so long, I really, I am pleasantly surprised, even though there are not a lot of those uh, very, you know, traits and characteristics that are unique to an HBCU, I have been pleasantly surprised to observe the ones that, that we have. I didn't think we would ha- have as many as we have been able to yeah, discuss yeah. so it's far. It's good to revisit it for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we move on. Things are moving fast. We're now on the day of the show's debut. It seemed like they just casted it two <laughs> minutes ago and now they about to debut. Right, and also remember that Maggie has had to do a series of edits right, to yeah. cut the show. Or to cut the play, <laughs> to edit it down because it's too long. It's a very long script. And every every time we see Maggie, she's complaining that she has to cut her script down. And she's still cutting it down. Mm-hmm. This is the day of the show. And she's still like, I got to cut 40 pages. I'm like, that's that sitcom magic. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So here we see Dwayne and Ron finally revealing their minimalist set. Again, $35. <laughs> so they're using minimalism. Um, and Maggie loves it. She is, she really, really believes that they just captured exactly what was in her mind and put it right there on the stage and she can't believe it. So then we see Whitley and Denise running their lines, um, but it quickly goes off the rails because again, they are kind of, um, opponents trying to win this guy. Mm -hmm. And so those, those feelings kind of jump over into, uh, into the scene. Although their characters are supposed to be united, they are clearly at odds. And Letty steps in as the as the grown grown woman in the room, right? And she reminds them that Rick is not the only man on campus. Y'all stop fighting over this one piece of meat, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then suddenly Gregory comes in and he is delivering a bouquet of flowers. And Whitley, with her arrogant self, is like, bring them over here. And <laughs> Those are mine. Me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Denise, you know, interjects and she's like, you know, how you know that's not for me? So, uh, and they both think that it's from Rick, by the way. Uh, mm. But in actuality, they are for Rick. That's surprise number mm. one. Surprise number two mm-hmm. is that it's from his girlfriend, Sarah. Right. Mm. Nobody thought about that. Nope. <laughs> this, with all this game, might just have a little girlfriend somewhere hidden. A girlfriend uh, or two. Okay. Exactly. So, yes. Yeah, so, me, anyway, uh, Denise and Whitley are shocked. Their faces are cracked. And Whitley leaves in dramatic style. <laughs> she has Millie hand her her towel and she just, you know, flirt, does a nice little flourish and, and walks off. Like a true diva. Because <laughs> how dare you? How dare her? Mm-hmm. But Denise, you know, she kind of sticks around and she's just like, I can't believe this. She's so frustrated that she was led on by Rick. Mm-hmm. She feels like a victim. Um, hmm. 
But you know, Letty, again, grown, grown woman with some experience, some history on her side. Yes. She gives her a little tough love. And, uh, yep. mm -hmm. and she informs her, you know, Rick was the only one here playing games. I think you were a willing participant. You didn't ask no questions. You didn't pump the brakes. Mm -hmm. You you know, you you like the attention. So you might want to exactly. slow down on feeling like you were taken advantage of. Not not quite. Um, and so, of course, again, this is the day of the show. So it's a lot to process, but we going because it's a sitcom. So now we now we're at the show. <laughs> <laughs> we're at the show. And it's clear that Denise and Whitley are no longer interested in Rick. Again, very unprofessional. They're letting it come through in their performances. And. Whitley especially because she's just like I'm not even gonna be in character I'm confronting you right now right here on stage <laughs> oh so unprofessional uh-huh um and so as Eve girl Denise is Eve girl Whitley is Eve woman Denise swoops in kind of in character trying to remind Eve woman slash Whitley that they don't need Adam uh -uh. and they leave together and then the play ends because the play, you know, nothing, it, it just went off script and stayed off script. <laughs> play ends, and the audience hey. loves it. They give them a standing ovation, yeah. and then that's the yeah. end. <laughs> and also, let's not forget Dwayne and Ron. They come up with a very deep and meaningful set with the $35. So kudos to them. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. All right. Now, where do you want to begin? Uh, we can start with the flowers or maybe Letty <laughs> and basically her saying to Denise girl bye <laughs> yeah yeah so let's talk about it Letty's tough tough love style what you think of it I agree with her I'm glad she put it out there like that I have a very good friend who has the similar tough love style when it comes to relationship dynamics so I appreciate it I would actually like to be more like Letty in that aspect mm. because I have friends who, you know, they'll meet a guy when we are out or when they are out. And, you know, the guy flirts and they automatically think that, you know, oh, this could be the one and just go way left or way right, but just, you know, way out of line with what's happening here. And sometimes you just need to be told what's up because I guess when you're in it and when someone is paying you attention, it does feel nice. It does feel good. So, you know, you want to believe it because even I had to pinch myself the other day because, you know, we're still in this period of physical distancing and we have to wear masks and everything, you know, when we go to when we go out. So this past weekend, I was at the grocery store and I had on my face mask and this gentleman, you know, he was keeping distance, but he says to me. You know the you know what the best part of wearing a mask is? And I'm like, oh no, what is it? He's like, you get to see beautiful women's eyes. So of course, you know, I was like, oh, thank you. You know, I felt good about myself because you know I hadn't been out been social in a while. So I'm like, do I still got it? I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, I was happy that you know somebody, you know, found me attractive. But then, you know, as I'm pushing the cart through the store, I thought it's like LaRonda. Girl, I wonder how many times has he tried that line on women in the grocery store and for how many weeks? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you know you really have to be aware of those things and I also in that scene when Letty is basically calling Denise out I don't know if this happened for you 
But Letty kind of yells, relax. And mm-hmm. I wanted to say in true, a different world fashion, relate, release. Whenever I hear <laughs> relax, I automatically think relate, release. But we'll get to that later. Uh, but yeah, so I, yeah, that's a I don't think Letty. Yeah, I don't think Letty, Letty was too hard. I appreciate her tough love style. Um, and, you know, I try to be a little more gentler, but I basically come at my friends the same way. And even to myself. Yeah. What would you say? Yeah, I think Letty was, was on point. Of course, again, this is a sitcom, so things move pretty fast. I felt a little bad for Denise. Um, you know, she was a willing participant. She wasn't a complete victim. But at the same time, her feelings were hurt. You know, she thought that there might be something there. She allowed herself to to believe that, you know, what he was saying might be true. Um, she thought there were sparks there. So, you know, I think it's fine to just kind of feel like, oh, I'm disappointed. I, You know, I don't feel so good about this. And then, you know, after you kind of lick your wounds a little bit, then get that tough love. Uh, but Letty didn't give her no time. <laughs> you can't portion. You cannot. I'm telling in these instances, you cannot. She didn't give her no time. That's she just ripped that band-aid right off and said, get it together. I think that's the best way. Just yeah. rip it off. Yeah. And, and, you know, and ultimately Letty was right. She knew. She got it. And she saw the whole yeah. thing go down anyway. She was just sitting there on the side, just like, mm. Mm-hmm. These, these children, children. <laughs> these children. <laughs> so, what did you think of about Whitley's reaction to, you know, the truth that Rick has a girlfriend? So, you know, the entire episode, Whitley was just in her feelings, strong in her feelings. Is you know, she made sure that she that that Rick knew that she liked him and she wanted him. And then when she felt like she was betrayed, she made sure he knew that she hated him and she didn't want him no more. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so (laughs) I'm not I'm not the type of person that kind of goes extreme with with my feelings like that. I'm also not the type of person that really puts myself out there. Right. So um, I'm probably closer to Denise, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, Whitley, in some ways, I felt like it was a bit less mature. Denise, again, she she felt kind of hurt and betrayed, but she was able to process that probably because she stuck around and talked to Letty as opposed to Whitley that just ran off and all she had was Millie right. to talk to. <laughs> and, you know, whether Millie told her the truth or not, Whitley wasn't going to listen to it no way. Exactly. So Whitley probably went off and hyped herself up and said, I'm going to show you when I get out there on the stage. <laughs> I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. So, yeah. I wish Whitley would have would have got a little of that Letty tough love too. So she wouldn't look like a fool out there. So let me ask you, LaRonda, mm-hmm. have you ever expressed interest in a man and found out the hard way that he was already taken? And if so, what did you do? Not quite. So you know how you just basically commented that you're more on the shy end when it comes to expressing yourself. So I'm also like that when it comes to uh, flirting with guys, what have you. So no, that has never happened, or at least not in my recollection. Howsoever, (laughs) I have had men express interest in me, very explicit Mm. (laughs) interest in me, but none to guess, imply, or suggest. And then later found out 
that they were in a relationship. Mm. So I definitely have found myself in a situation like that. So there was one time where I was very young that I allowed the gentleman to convince me to hang in there with him for a minute. And I did until I just couldn't take it anymore. But, hang in there with him for a moment. Hey, right. Because girl, you know, they, child, these people out here, I don't want to say men because I don't want to like stereotype and put everybody in one bucket. Right. I know that won't be fair, but a lot of guys that I have met and interacted with and my friends, share similar experiences when they approach you, you know, in these circumstances or rather when they approach you and you're out and, you know, they make it very clear that there's a romantic interest and decide not to reveal. So hold on, let me take a step back. Since that time, I learned real quick. If a person is interested and if I have mutual interest, that's like the next question I ask. Mm-hmm. Are you in a relationship? If they are, then I'm moveon.com. But nonetheless, the, the going back to the whole hang in there part, girl, they just be like, well, you know, I'm not really happy. We almost broken up. We about to break up anyway. Or they say, I'm just with her because we have a kid together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> girl, they will say all kinds of stories to try to cajole you into hanging in there with them because they make it seem like, you know, their uh, prior situation or their other situation, their their main situation is just so distressful and so awful. But, you know, you are the person that could just really bring them sunlight and life. So, yeah. You can rescue me, girl. <laughs> well, Lucha. We don't have time to get into that. This is not the podcast for that type of discussion, but y'all know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, can't say that I have had that situation that I know of, um, you know, whether it's expressing an interest in a man and finding out he was already in a relationship. Uh, Well, I had one guy uh, in high school that we were kind of, talking but then I did find out he he might so you know talking quote unquote talking the whole mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what we are kind of situation um and then yeah. he's doing the whole I don't know what we are situation with another girl um and that was enough mm-hmm. for me to just mm-hmm. be like oh well let me let me retreat let me back out yeah but yeah that's probably yeah. the closest I've ever been I don't I don't I, I definitely don't yeah. um enjoy being in that whole uh, drama filled kind of situation where there might be people overlapping and mm-mm, that's not for me. I'm not built like yeah, that. I, neither am I. One thing I can say that I'm quite proud of myself about is that I've never participated in a contentious situation uh, with another woman related to, that's with about a situation right. that's related to a man. Like there have been instances where, you know, I was dating someone and, you know, they were also dating someone else that I was completely oblivious to and not aware of. And, you know, their other person, the other person that they um, 
that the you know the guy was involved with has maybe been able to find my number or reached out to me on Facebook, you know, slid in DM, whatever. But I simply do not engage. Oh, really? That's what y'all doing? Great. Have fun. I'm out. I'm no no threat to you. Go ahead. Enjoy love. I don't fight nobody over no man. Mm -mm. (laughs) Haven't and never will. All right. So before we give our final thoughts, how do you think this episode might be different if it was done today? We may have had more realistic things happening with the play. You know, maybe not the last minute rewrites, uh, maybe not the explosion <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. impromptu dialogue, or rather, what do you call it? Not impromptu. What do you call it when people improv? We may not have had the improv or the uh, improvised dialogue in the play that we saw, but I don't know. I think that kind of the, the main tenets of the show may have been the same today. What do you think? I think that um, if this were done today, I feel like they would have more opportunities for Whitley and Denise to talk to each other. Because although, you know, Whitley and Denise don't have the strongest relationship, they do have a bit of a relationship. They have somewhat of a friendship. There's been times where Whitley has Mm -hmm. confided in Denise and Denise has, um, you know, been compassionate towards Whitley. Um, So I feel like there would have been more opportunities for them to just kind of, you know, just woman to woman talk to each other, figure out like what's up. Um, So, you know, it might've still been a situation where all of them were were working on the same play, but we would not, I don't think we would have seen so much in rehearsal. And so we would have seen more conversation outside of rehearsals um, so that we could could have them like really talk and figure out what this is, what, Mm -hmm. what is going on. And hopefully, you know, even if it were to get contentious, they, we would see them, come back together and realize that this is not, this isn't worth it. Even if yeah. we're not super duper friends, we're still, you know, women. We're, we're still sisters and, mm-hmm. and uh, we don't need to be acting like this. Yeah, I think you make a great point. I think that's, yeah, I could definitely see that happening. So what would you rank this on a scale or how would you rank this episode on a scale of Uh, one to five? I would put this at a one and a half. Uh, Where would you put it? (laughs) No, I was like, okay. (laughs) I would give it a two. I thought it was fun to watch. Um, I also thought I, what I liked about this show, sometimes a different world in the first season, at least can, almost have too many plot points and plot lines. So I like the fact that it stayed with yeah, this pretty much just one storyline. Yeah, we didn't hear anything. Girl, Jaleese didn't hardly say anything. Ron barely had some words. Uh-uh. Yeah, it was pretty nope. much about this this love triangle. And also I really enjoyed Letty's read. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, well that was episode 16. The show must go on. The show will yes. continue to go on after this break. Facts. You see how I did that? I, that was that was all right. That was kind of smooth, good, wasn't that it? Was good. That was good. I liked it. I liked it. We are Podcasters United to condemn the tragic murders of Black people at the hands of police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism pervasive in our country since its inception. 
and we are committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that Black lives matter. We believe that Black lives are more important than property. We believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we are witness to it. In creating digital media, we hope to build audiences that will return week after week to hear our voices, and we will use our voices to speak against anti-Blackness and police brutality, and we encourage our audiences to be educated, engaged, and to take action. All season long, we will be donating to a variety of groups fighting against police violence and systemic racism and fighting for the safety and security of Black communities. This week, we will be donating to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And if you're able to, we encourage you to do the same. Go to NAACPLDF.org to learn more about the organization and ways you can support. Again, that's NAACPLDF.org. All right. Welcome back, classmates. We are back with episode 17 of A Different World. This episode is entitled Mr. Hillman. Mm-hmm. It first aired on February 25th, 1988, and the summary is as follows. Whitley enters the Miss Hillman pageant, but Denise, infuriated at the sexism of the pageant, convinces Dwayne to enter as well. Dwayne then has second thoughts when uh, he becomes looked at as an object on campus. <laughs> so this seems to be an episode that is uh, all about Dwayne, or almost all about Dwayne. Whitley's all up in here, too. <laughs> <laughs> all about Whitley and Dwayne. Um, okay, so let's get into it, uh, starting with the director. So we have Matthew Diamond, who directed this episode, and he's a bit newer uh, this might be the first time we're seeing this name pop up on A Different World so far. I think so. Um, now, y'all might not be familiar with his name. I'm not familiar with his name. Um, but we are certainly familiar with his work. So in addition to being an accomplished dancer and choreographer, which will come into play a little later oh. after I give all his credentials, um, he's directed numerous television shows throughout the 80s and 90s, 2000s, 2010s, okay. um, including, this is just a very truncated version of his resume. Um, we have Designing Women, we have Family Aww. Ties, we have Golden Girls, we have Out All Night. You remember that show with Patti LaBelle? I do. She owned a nightclub or a bar or something, right? Yeah, something like that. Yep. Yes. And that had Dwayne Martin and... Uh, Vivica A. Fox in it. Yes, I remember. And Morris Chestnut. Yes. Everybody was in that show. Everybody. <laughs> um, the Parkers, That's So Raven, Gilmore Girls, Jane the Virgin, and drumroll please. <laughs> the Wiz Live. Yes. Oh, that's one of your faves. Yes. He's credited with directing The Wiz Live alongside Kenny Leon. Uh, so yes, yeah, so that's probably where his his dancing and choreography history comes into play as well, uh, merging all together. I love that that a uh, musical television musical. Yeah. Um, so yes, shout out to Matthew Diamond, and also he is an Emmy winning director. He's earned three daytime Emmys for directing. So yes. Oh, uh, all right now. 
as far as uh, script writing goes, this is written by Margot Kaufman. Now, according to imdb.com, um, this is actually her only writing credit, Margot Kaufman's only writing credit. Um, oh, okay. uh, we're not sure what else she has done. And unfortunately, she passed away in 2000 at the age of 46. So oh, wow. very much appreciate her uh, contribution to uh, a different world and its legacy through this particular episode. Just want to briefly mention the producers. Really, um, no need to go through the entire list. It's the same people as the previous episode. So, Lorraine, yeah. why don't you tell us who's in this episode? So we have the usual suspects. Denise Huxtable, Jaleesa, Maggie, Dwayne Wayne, Whitley Gilbert, Letty Bostick, Millie, and Ron Johnson. In this particular episode, we do see Gloria again, played by B.B. Smith. Allison, played by Kim Wayans. Also, Walter Oates is in the house, played by Sinbad, the wonderful comedian. And we also have another recurring character, that we've seen before, but I don't think, I think maybe previous in previous episodes, he didn't have as big of a vocal role as he does in this particular episode. But that would be Chip St. Charles, played by Don Reed. And also, there's an appearance by a very familiar person uh, that most of you guys probably know, have seen before. There's Girl Number Three, played by A.J. Johnson. So... Dr. Flowers, give us some background information about Don Reed and A.J. Johnson. Yes, yes. Uh, as Loretta said, this is not his first time appearing on A Different World, but I don't think we really gave him his just due um, earlier. So we're going to go ahead and acknowledge him now. Don Reed is an accomplished stand-up comedian, writer, television and film actor, as well as voiceover artist. So he does it all. Um, according to IMDb, his very first acting credit was in Robert Townsend's Hollywood Shuffle, um, groundbreaking film. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay, I didn't know that. And he continued to work with Robert Townsend, actually, appearing in his HBO special Partners in Crime, as well as the feature film Meteor Man. Um, he then went on to have numerous appearances on television shows, including The Cosby Show and Hanging with Mr. Cooper. And he actually appeared in a total of four episodes of A Different World. This is his third appearance today. And his previous two appearances were in episode one uh, called Reconcilable Differences and episode four called Those Who Can't Tutor. So oh, okay. shout out to Mr. Don Reed and Chip St. Charles, which is, I mean, if that ain't a television character <laughs> name, <laughs> I don't know what is. Right. And as Lorenda alluded to, we have a very special person uh, here listed as uh, girl number three. She don't even get a name, but we know her real we name. We know who that is. Yes, this is A.J. Johnson, the A.J. Johnson. B.K.A. Jody Mama. Yes, 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 yes. And she's one of those rare people who has not just one, but two iconic roles. If anybody knows her, they know her for either being Jody's mama, Juanita, in Baby Boy, or as mm -hmm. Shireen in House Party. Yeah. Yes. You remember, she? it was her and Tisha Campbell that were the two main girls in House Party. Yes. Tearing the dance floor up. That's right. That's right. Yes, she also had several appearances in television shows throughout the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, including uh, In the Heat of the Night, 
uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Amen, The Jamie Foxx Show. And she's also appeared in, in feature films, including Sister Act and The Inkwell. She actually had a, a sizable role in The Inkwell. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very much has a strong acting presence. But did you know that while she still acts, she also is uh, primarily known now as a celebrity wellness and life coach? I did know that. I've actually seen her appear on a few reality shows and also in social media doing her thing. Yes, so. yes. So she, this is a woman who has multiple lanes She's out here doing the daggone thing. One more thing. And looking good, too. And looking good doing it. Yes. One more thing. According to IMDb, this episode of A Different World was her very first television show credit. Oh, wow. Yes. So what a way to make an entrance into Hollywood. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Should we go ahead and get into this opening scene? Let's get into it, girl. So we open up with Millie in Whitley's room and Millie is trying to help Whitley decide what to give Whitley's mother for her birthday. Whitley reveals that she really doesn't have a strong relationship with her mother and that the only time her mom has even was even happy with her or that she feels her mom is happy with her at least is when she was crowned Ms. Magnolia. Uh, Whitley makes it known that she would like to follow in her family's legacy, the legacy of the women in her family, that is, because her mother, some of her aunts and cousins have been crowned Miss Hillman. So Whitley expresses her desire to become the next Miss Hillman. The first step to becoming Miss Hillman, however, is to win the nomination from her from her dormmate. So the college has a bit of a caucus going on for the Miss Hillman candidate. Meanwhile, we pivot to the pit where Jaleesa, because we know how she feels about Whitley, <laughs> she wants basically someone to run against Whitley. She does not want to even think about or consider Whitley being Miss Hillman. So she tries to encourage Denise to run for Miss Hillman. Even though the crown also comes with a $500 book scholarship. Denise completely rejects this idea. She's like, beauty pageants are sexist. They're degrading. They're superficial. I will have no parts of it. Then, of course, Denise gets a bright idea. She wants to shake things up, be a revolutionary, and decides to encourage Dwayne Wayne to run in the name of equality because there's a scholarship at stake. So Denise feels that Dwayne has just as much right to that scholarship as any woman. Whitley, of course, hears of the idea and she is (laughs) just terrified. She is totally against the idea of men competing in this pageant. But of course, who wins the nomination? Who wins the Gilbert Hall caucus? None other than (laughs) Dwayne Wayne. So a lot happening in this first uh, scene of the episode, though. Let's see. Let's start with the very first problem or scenario we see. Whitley trying to figure out what to get for her mom's birthday. And she also reveals that the relationship with her mom is shaky. Hmm. What do you think about that? Well, you know, again, this kind of tracks with with what we saw earlier, especially in that Christmas episode uh, where she, um, you know, was faced either with going to um, Switzerland, I think, with her dad and his new friend, 
mm-hmm. or being with her mother. But mm-hmm. of course, her mother didn't have time for her because she needed to go to a spa and the parents were in the midst of getting right. a divorce as well. So, you know, we clearly know that Whitley is the daddy's girl. Um, but what we didn't quite realize mm-hmm. was how um, how fractured her relationship was with her mother. Um, yeah. So, you know, that. It makes me a little sad, um, and it also kind of shows or, or reveals yeah. something about um, maybe why she is the way that she is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, didn't she lash out at Millie at some point, or you know, Millie was trying to give her? Um, I, may, I don't know if it was lashing out necessarily, but you know, Millie was trying to give her some support, and Whitley yeah. just was like, just rejected it. She was just like, all right, yep. Get out of here, Flunky. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that might be uh, kind of telling, as, as especially as far as her um, relationships with women, the way that she she treats yeah. women, I think. Oh, yeah. That might go back to that. Girl, that would be. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I think at least up until now, we haven't heard anything about her having a sibling. I can't remember in future seasons if, if they no. gave her a sibling, but... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so right. I mean, it seems like she just has might have some type of block when it comes to other women. Yeah, which could be, or the foundation of that could be the rocky relationship that she has with her mom. And I also would just like to point out that obviously Whitley's family is financially loaded because as an undergraduate, she has the means by which to purchase a Louis Vuitton cat carrier. <laughs> Yes. For her mother. But I mentioned that because what I want to point out is that even though her family is financially stable, we see that there are these interpersonal and relationship issues. So just because a family has a lot of money doesn't mean that things are perfect. And the other thing, too, you know, it also is very telling as far as her, um, you know, her preoccupation with um, with this pageant mm-hmm. again, her mother, her aunt, and her cousin were Miss um, mm-hmm. Hellman at one point, um, and then she also mentions that the only time her mom was happy was when she was, mm-hmm. you know, in the pageant circuit and when she won Miss Magnolia. So, you know, even though she has that strained relationship with her right. mom, she's still trying to chase, you know, she's still trying to chase yeah. her mother's uh, approval. Um, so, yeah, it's. It's very in in in, this, in just this very short period of time. I feel like we we got to know yeah. a little bit more about Whitley and, yeah, and exactly. what motivates her. How would you characterize your relationship with your mom? Um, not like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, yeah, it's uh, my mother's attention and pride was not uh, dependent on whether or not I I accomplished yeah. something. Although, of course, you know, my mom was very proud of me when Mm -hmm. I did things and, you know, but she did not withhold her support when I didn't do those things. But yeah, I would say that my relationship with my mother, especially, you know, over this, uh, this shutdown Mm -hmm. period that we're in, uh, you know, transparency, the job that I have allows me to uh, telework. I'm very thankful and grateful that um, I have the type of job that will allow me to work from home. Um, I'm not considered one of those essential workers that has to, you know, go out there and, and interact with the public. Um, and so, and my mother uh, was by herself. Um, and so I made the decision to come back home 
to just kind of help her out, make sure that she has what she needs. Oh, so, so kind of you. Yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, so, you know, just trying to make sure that she she got what she needs. And, you know, selfishly, I, I appreciate being at home because my mom, you know, she likes to cook. So that, that is nice. That is a nice so fringe benefit right there. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I try to help keep you healthy and and alive, and you know, you fix me a pancake or two. Yeah, I love it. It's a win win. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? How would you characterize your relationship with your mother? Um, not even close. Complete one eighty from Whitley and her mom. So my mom and I have been very close. I would say since I was an older teenager, and it seems like the older we got, the closer we got. So you know, now we call each other best friends. So oh. I can't, yeah, I can't imagine having that type of fractured relationship or any type of fractured relationship with my mom. That's my heart. Shout out to Mildred. Love you, girl. Oh. But, um, so yeah. Yeah. That's my heart. Uh-huh. Um, all right. Now that we've gotten the mother stuff out the way, <laughs> let's get into it. One thing mm-hmm. I just, you know, this ain't even a question. It's just an observation. So... <laughs> And it's it's the it's the little jabs, it's the sh- subtle shade that they keep throwing at Jaleesa. And you know, I'm really sick and tired of it. On behalf of her, I'm gonna need this slander to stop. So, you know, Jaleesa needs to run. And before Denise suggested Dwayne, she threw it back at her and said, you know, Jaleesa, you should run. And right. Maggie was and- on it. <laughs> and immediately Jaleesa didn't even get a chance to think about it. Maggie said, No, nah, that ain't gonna work. Because you're too old. Too old. Why don't do the old lady like that? She is too old. And then Maggie tried to clean it up and be like, oh, well, I mean, you know, you're just immature. I mean, sorry, you're you're mature. So, you know, you're you too, don't have you're time. You're so mature for that. Yeah, you don't have time for this. Girl, and Jaleesa was just like, stop. Just cut it out. I mean, oh, how God. many ways they got to remind us that Jaleesa is too grown for these children? <laughs> Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out just in case nobody else caught that. I caught it. (laughs) Girl, you know, I made a note of it. I was like, oh, she wrong for throwing that shade at Jaleesa. (laughs) The other thing to point out. So uh, let's see. Somehow word got back because Denise had just thought of the idea of getting Dwayne to run. And then Mm -hmm. somehow... Whitley caught wind of that, and now we're back in Whitley's room. I guess this is mm-hmm. the power of sitcoms, and she she knows already <laughs> that Dwayne is about to run, and she just thinks this is a travesty. And she's talking to Letty about it, and you know, Letty kind of gives tough love to Whitley. You know, last episode we were talking about the tough love that she gave Denise. Now it's Whitley's turn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Whitley, in addition to you know, just being upset at the thought of a man running. She's just like, you know, this is my thing. This is what I want to do. This is the achievement um, that I came here to make. My my family has already made a mark, you know, this mm-hmm. is legacy, you know, and Letty's just like, you know what, becoming Miss Hellman might be an achievement, but it's not going to change anything between you and your mother. And she just lays it out like that. And, you right. know, part of me kind of felt a little bit bad for Whitley because I was like, dang, you dream killer. That was Whitley's brain. <laughs> you just stepped all on it. Girl, Letty. <laughs> she was like, whatever. It's still going to be bad. You you going to be Miss Hellman and you still going to have a bad relationship with your mama. So, so whatever. What? 
So you need to, you know, that's not the thing that you need to worry mm-hmm. about. You need to worry about other stuff. Uh, but then this is the other thing. And this is more than tough love. This is like, <laughs> Letty got her jabs in. So Letty said that she knew Whitley's auntie that was uh, former Miss Hellman, Aunt Francine. Mm-hmm. Letty said she was a chucklehead before she won and she was, was a chucklehead, chucklehead after, after she won. Girl, when Letty was in the room and they were talking about the whole legacy thing in my mind, I'm like, because Letty had the Hillman history herself, I thought to myself, I wonder, does Letty know any of Whitley's family members? And if she did, I wonder how she felt about them. Like, I thought that very, very quickly. And as soon as I thought that, the Aunt Francine thing came up. So, (laughs) My goodness, Letty said, let me tell you about your auntie to your face because I knew her. Right. She wasn't my Miss Hillman. <laughs> Were you shocked at that revelation? Yeah, you know, I again, I I have to remember that Letty uh, was a student there. She's okay. not just the yeah. RD. She, you know, she, she used to be a student there. Um, so, yeah, if Whitley comes from this long line of Gilbert's um, that attended, and again, we're, we are in Gilbert Hall, um, named mm-hmm. after her family, then yeah, it would only make sense that Letty might have run across uh, one of her family mm-hmm. members. So I think that right. was a really nice touch. I'm glad that they did mm-hmm. that. Um, but, you know, it was also a nice touch that they threw that little thing in. Letty knew her and she didn't like her, but she still don't like her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I wasn't surprised at all, given Letty's personality and character versus Whitley and I'm sure her aunts and moms were they were all very similar right (laughs) all right so this is the other thing that stood out to me you know again Whitley is none too pleased at the idea of Dwayne Wayne running uh for Miss Helm or running for that nomination from Gilbert Hall first Mm -hmm. um so, yeah, you know, and we've seen this before. Whitley has been positioned as being like that, that very traditional kind of conservative woman where she's all about preserving womanhood and, you know, the separation mm-hmm. of the genders. Because remember, even in episode 10 of our podcast, when we when we were reviewing, I forgot the episode number of A Different World. But remember the bathroom debacle? Yeah. Whitley was staunchly opposed to having a gender neutral or co-ed bathroom. Yeah. So I think it's very interesting, um, you know, especially for that time in the Mm eighties, there was a lot of conversation about, about gender and women's rights. Well, you know, certainly Mm -hmm. um, precipitated by uh, the women's lib movement, but um, you know, with women Mm -hmm. becoming more and more or going more and more into the workforce, we see more of those conversations about work-life balance and where, you know, what's a man's place, what's a woman's place, what does gender mean, you know, all this, mm-hmm. all these things. And again, this is the first season. So, of course, in subsequent seasons, we continue to see these conversations about gender, but we're also seeing race in there as well and other topics of the day. Right. Uh, but gender seems to be the more... Mm-hmm. Um, the more common issue to fall back on here. But it's interesting how they kind of turn mm-hmm. that on its head. So instead of giving that to a man, a male character and say, you know, we need to separate the genders and, you know, we need to preserve malehood. No, they have Whitley mm-hmm. saying, no, I, I want to preserve womanhood. 
we don't need men in our huh. space. We uh-huh. need to, you know, these are things that are for uh-huh. women. This pageant is for women. And that's just how it needs to be. So, yeah, right. I, I find that very interesting. Having a having a female character advocate against the equality of the sexes. Uh-huh. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we'll see how, how that kind of plays out um, as we go into the next scene. So this scene was, was kind of uh, it was kind of rough on Dwayne. Girl, I felt bad for Dwayne. I did. I really did. <laughs> he was catching it from all sides. All so sides. we're at the pit and we see Ron talking to Dwayne and he is expressing his doubts about Dwayne running for Miss Hillman. Mm-hmm. You know, but Dwayne is just like, he's gung-ho. He's all in. He don't want to hear nothing. And then we see the character of Chip St. Charles and the brothers of Kappa Lambda Nu, uh-huh. um, which is, you know, shout out to the super fans. Y'all recognize <laughs> Kappa Lambda Nu. This is whose future fraternity? Ron's. Ron, right? That's right. right. Yep. Yes. Ron's, this is Ron's future fraternity right here. So anyway, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But yeah, I was pleased to see that they had laid down track for Capilanda New from the jump. <laughs> That's certainly one thing that remained once Debbie Allen got a hold of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, Chip St. Charles and the brothers of Capilanda New teased Dwayne for running. And then we find out that they are going to put up Whitley as their candidate for Miss Hellman. Whitley didn't get Gilbert Hall's nomination, Dwayne did. So went mm-hmm. over to Capilanda New and they're going to back her. And Dwayne is starting to kind of feel the heat from his peers. They see that this is, you know, a very, very odd thing to do. And, <laughs> you know, Dwayne is kind of getting some counsel from Jaleesa and Maggie and Ron. And unfortunately, they're all telling him, you need to drop out. And Ron is emphatic. He keeps saying, drop out while you can. <laughs> Just tell them, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. And, you know, and we also, this whole time we're seeing Dwayne and he's in his gym clothes. He's he's in a tank top and some shorts. And uh, Walter enters into the pit and he tells him, you know, uh, <laughs> I, f- I found your clothes, man. You you know, we're good to go. You come on back to the gym. <laughs> and everybody's laughing at him. And you realize the reason why he looks like he's, you know, still in his, his gym clothes is because he couldn't change into his street clothes. Yeah. Somebody hit it, threw it somewhere, something. Uh, played a prank on him. So, you know, it's really, it's really co- getting to Dwayne. He's feeling the pressure. Um and uh, so now we're at the locker room. Coach Walter Oaks is trying to comfort Dwayne. He's trying to talk to him and, um, you know, cheer him up because Dwayne is just like, I don't get it. I don't understand why I'm being treated like this mm-hmm. just because of this pageant. This isn't right. Um, you know, but <laughs> even Walter Oaks is telling him he needs to drop out. <laughs> Cause he's, he's trying to console him, but he's also saying, brother, it, it, it ain't worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I probably would have told him the same thing, but <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was so funny that everyone around him was just like, "Yeah, no, <laughs> this ain't this ain't it." Like this, this I, ain't I, cool. I get like, what you're trying to do, but nah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, Ron when he talk tries to talk Dwayne out of it, basically Ron is like, "Look, Denise is playing you. She is using you for her own 
political agenda. Did you think Ron had a point in that? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think he did he did have a point. Um, you know, whether or not uh Dwayne should drop out is a different story, but I think Ron actually uh, you know, told the truth. He told yeah. some truths there. Yeah. Denise wasn't, you know, Denise didn't even ask Dwayne, uh, you know, what he thought about it necessarily. She just was like, you know, I got an idea. I want you to run. You know what? Portia, then, she, wait, hold on. Time out. She didn't even do it. She didn't even approach him like that. She was somewhat flirtatious in her approach. Right. Yeah. Which, which is <laughs> ironic considering our discussion from earlier. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, and she knows, she knows Dwayne has feelings for her. And she leveraged those feelings too, to get what she wanted. Yeah. And then the other thing that bothered me about that whole situation, I was a little annoyed that, you know, while Dwayne was getting criticized and mocked and beat up and his masculinity is being called into question, what have you, Denise just sat there. She said nothing. Yeah, like if you're going to put him up to it, you need to have his back completely. I'm going to need you to back him. That I was annoyed by that. Yeah, that that was pretty whack. Um, yeah, but I think Ron was actually right. This is this is uh, a concoction by Denise. She felt like there was inequality. She wanted to do a social experiment using Dwayne. Um, and he's just he's just a pawn. And uh you know, I'm glad that Ron said that. Of course, you know, in one ear, out the other for Dwayne. He didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> like Al Green said, love will make you do right. Do wrong. Love will make you do something. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm sure Dwayne probably thought, oh, this will be a little fun gag, you know, whatever. He didn't mm-hmm. think any of this through. He didn't realize the implications yeah. of it. And he certainly didn't consider how invested people would be. Like, this is really throwing Mm -hmm. him for a loop that people are really having problems with the fact that he is competing in the Miss Hellman. Like Miss Hellman really don't mean that much, Mm -hmm. but you know, it means everything, Uh, you know, I guess for symbolic reasons, Mm -hmm. even they just, again, it's this bumping of heads when it comes to a woman's place versus a man's place. And, you know, the Mm -hmm. separation of genders, we, we're still in 1988 mm-hmm. again when we get to the portion later where we start to talk about how this might be how this episode might be different today i mean that's uh point number 1 right there <laughs> we have different vocabulary right. even exactly. when it comes to how we talk about gender so mhm absolutely um oh yeah so again you know the other thing to point out as i mentioned earlier Kappa Lambda Nu makes its appearance. I think this was the first time we see we see Kappa Lambda Nu. Um, but I'm just curious, so. what do you think um, that uh, Kappa Lambda Nu was a stand-in for as far as the real-life Greek fraternities? Do you think they were like the Kappas? Were they the Omegas? Were they the Alphas? So from judging from this episode alone, I would say that Kappa Lambda Nu embodies all five mm. of the fraternities. But the what it demonstrated, I think, most though, and, and why they were placed there in this particular episode, I believe, because is mm. to demonstrate masculinity. 
I, I really think that was the, the kind of the overarching purpose mm-hmm. of Kappa Lambda Nu, because they're like the quintessential, you know, male person or, you know, um, as we, you know, male as we have traditionally defined it, right? The, 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 so, the traditional social construct of man and masculinity. And so I, that's why I say all of them. I think that like that's their purpose in this particular episode. Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing they could have done possibly is have some athletes there. Athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's fraternities and, and athletics, I would say. Yep. Yeah. Probably the, the biggest, um, you know, locations of masculinity on college campus. So, yeah, that, that's an interesting. That was a good observation. Yeah. And as far as, you know, Kappa the new and their reaction to Dwayne running, you can see it in, you know, the word, the names that they call him, they call him little sister and they start catcalling mm-hmm. him, you know, and then you start to see women getting in on it. They're hitting on him. He got some flowers sent to him and Ron read it and whatever it was, it was too disgusting for him to read out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see later on, he has a, you know, a, like a poster with the headshot, um, a campaign poster with the headshot and somebody right. drew a woman's body underneath it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's women that are kind of um, comment. Well, everybody's commenting on his body and his clothes were stolen and just really degrading and demeaning him. Um, mm-hmm. And it, again, it wears on him and it's interesting to observe his reaction to it because he doesn't like all the cat calling. He doesn't like all the names. He doesn't like all the attention. Yet he dishes all of that out to women whenever he interacts with with women. He's just, you know, yo baby, you know, <laughs> you look good. You're uh, mentioning body part. You know, all kinds of things. The stuff that he's receiving, he gives it out, and he can't take it. It's a double standard, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's very interesting to see him, you know, kind of be humbled in that way and and not just humbled, shaken. Right. All right. So we return back to the pit after this whole scene. Um, I can't tell if it's the same day, the next day. You know, what is time? Girl, I, I, what is time in a sitcom? Uh, so, again, we're back at the pit and we see that the candidates are making their final speeches. Um, and this is, uh, so the election is going to be the next day (laughs) and we're seeing the tail Mm -hmm. end of Whitley's speech as she gives her slogan, (laughs) shout out to Jasmine Guy. First of all, Jasmine (laughs) Guy is an actress because she is acting all over the place. Yes, she is. Girl, Whitley's like, Whitley, because that's her slogan, (laughs) the way she delivered it. I just I had to replay it several times. I just I don't know, man. It cracked me up. Just those two words. I was like, that is perfect. I don't know. Well, uh, clearly, shout out to the writer here, uh, Miss Marco Kaufman. She captured Whitley's essence in that little slogan perfectly in my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, she did. All right, so now it's time for Dwayne to make his final speech. Um, but he's not there. So you know, we talked about Denise not having his back earlier. Now we see Denise kind of stepping up to the plate and she's going to speak on his behalf because, you know, it seems that perhaps Dwayne might not be coming back because he's just so 
so broken, so hurt by mm-hmm. um, how he's been treated. And she begins to admonish everyone for their behavior during this campaign. But Dwayne finally shows up fashionably late, you know, and he basically takes over the admonishment and he challenges everyone. He goes ahead and tells them, okay, right. you know, y'all, y'all been doing it. Let's do it some more. Go ahead and bark. Go ahead and whistle. Go ahead and cat call. <laughs> You know, Mm -hmm. and at first they start doing enthusiastically and then they realize how foolish it is and kind of they kind of stop. Right. Um, And, you know, to his credit, he acknowledges that he did all this stuff and he acknowledges that they were, you know, it was the error of his ways. And now feeling that being a recipient of it, he realizes that behavior towards women is just respectful. And so he encouraged people to go ahead and Mm -hmm. vote for him and using the slogan, at last, a real choice. So, you know, what do you think about this whole situation, this whole scene? Because it seems like Dwayne is a is a changed man, don't you think? Uh, he does. He definitely shows uh, an evolution. <laughs> he shows that he's evolved. So I can appreciate that. Um, yeah. That's I, I <laughs> evolution, relatively speaking. It's only been five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Rel- you're right. Relatively speaking, change right? of heart. There so you go. Let, there you go. Let's not say evolution. Let's say his change of heart. Yes. <laughs> his change of heart was notable. Another thing about the back at the pit scene, Portia, that I noticed, I don't know if it had been there before, but in the in terms of the the scenery and the the set, there were lots of pictures of black people in the pit. So I don't know if those have always been there or if that was me, but that was my first time noticing it. Yeah, there was a previous episode. Or no, maybe it was this episode. I feel like, so maybe it was the scene where Dwayne had to uh, give his pitch in Gilbert Hall. And I, and there was like a Harriet Tubman picture. Yeah, those have been there. I, okay, that was the first time I noticed it. I noticed that in episode one or two. So I had noticed those early on, but this was my first time. <laughs> I'm super late. <laughs> <laughs> this was my first time noticing the pictures in the pit. So it looks like you can't see it that clearly, but it looks like black and white photos of college students from yesteryear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good touch. I remember seeing pictures like that um, in the kind of pub, kind of, well, we called it the pub on mm. my undergrad campus. Um, but it was okay. kind of like our version of the pit, I suppose. Um, I mean, it wasn't popping like that, but we would have events when we would have, quote unquote, we, y'all know who we is, would have events. (laughs) That's when it would actually be popping. But on a regular day, day to day basis, not so much. But anyway, the point is nobody was dancing in the pub on a Wednesday. No, just because. No, (laughs) no, you wouldn't go see nobody jamming on the one no kind of day unless it's on purpose and we done already previously reserved it for an event. But yeah, we, we had those black and white photos of, of students from back in the day. So, okay. So now final scene, we see Whitley back in her room. She is reading the school newspaper, the Hillman Chronicle. So a little piece of trivia there for you. Um, and it's not a happy occasion Whitley is uh, confronted with the reality that she lost Miss Hillman. Uh, she didn't lose to Dwayne. She actually lost to Carolyn Louise Thompson. Mm-hmm. And she lost by a fairly large margin. She lost by 299 <laughs> votes. 
<laughs> yes, she <Ooh>. did. <laughs> and Hillman is not a big campus, so that's you know, that's that's a, a bit of a blow. And mm-hmm. Whitley is, of course, very disappointed. And Letty encourages her to try again next year, but Whitley is just, you know, she's not moved. She doesn't like it. She she doesn't like any of this. Um, and then Denise trying to be a friend, she comes to Whitley's room to console her, you know, because again, Whitley was kind of uh, kind of the brainchild behind behind this. Had it not been perhaps for Dwayne being placed into the competition, Whitley might have had a decent chance. At least that's what Whitley thinks. Mm-hmm. Whitley, yeah. And uh, <laughs> But, you know, Denise kind of thwarted her plans a bit, so she wanted to console her and assured her that being Miss Hellman is not the only way she can make her mother proud. And, and, you know, maybe chasing her mother's approval might not be worth it if it's going to be like this. And so Whitley yeah. hears her and she uh, realizes that maybe it's time to confront her mother. And so she gets on her phone because remember, Whitley is special. She doesn't have to use the pay phone out in the hallway. She has her own phone right there in her room. So she picks up the phone. She tells her mother that she is no longer going to live her life for her. She didn't win the pageant and she does not care. And so we're just like, oh, Whitley, <laughs> but, she done, she done, you know, change. Okay, she done learned something. She grew. She gonna tell her mama what's up. And we've realized, no, mm-hmm. this is a fake out. She never uh, lifted right. up that, uh, that receiver thing. So there wasn't a dial tone. She didn't call anybody. <laughs> right. And then I think the scene ends, right? When she, when we, when that is revealed and then she actually picks up the phone or rather she actually dials her mom. Yes. Yeah. We, but we don't see what happens. All we see is that her mom picks up and she begins the conversation, but that's it. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it was, you know, interesting ending uh, to this episode. Now, one thing that I noticed in this final scene you know, Whitley acknowledges her age. She's only 19 years old, which I'm sure yeah. when we first saw this episode when we were kids, seemed like, oh, wow, this is grown. 1940, it's the same thing. These yeah. people grown, honey. All of them grown. Everybody's grown. Like, I never saw a difference hardly between Whitley and Letty. Like, they were all just adults. Uh-huh. Adults. Absolutely. Um, but yes, of course, now we're, we're a little bit older now. We have some experience and we know that 19 is mm-hmm. actually quite young. Ooh, honey. Quite young. So, yeah, this is very this young. is this is a big deal. This this might be Whitley's first major, you know, disappointment and, mm-hmm. and confrontation with some things that that uh, she has to deal with about, you mm-hmm. know, her beliefs and you know, her relationship with her mother and what needs to be done to repair that and her self-worth. And, you know, there's a lot that she has to, that she has to deal with in this, in this space. Um, so yeah, I definitely gained some empathy with her, uh, for her, um, in that respect. And just, uh, it was a good reminder that these are all very young people. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that stood out to me, you know, again, when Whitley was going through and she was just like, this I don't I I um, am very disappointed that I'm not Miss Hellman. She said, "quote I don't think I'm gonna be Mama's baby when she hears about this." Oh, I feel so sad. Me too. Me too. Have you ever felt that way about something you've done or didn't happen, and you thought your mom may be really disappointed in you? Um, yeah, 
nothing specific comes to mind right now, but I know that I've felt um, like I, you know, afraid to to say something to my mom about um, something or, you know, just just being fearful about her reaction, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a difference between, you know, your your parent may be getting mad and your parent being disappointed in you or disapproving right. of, of something, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a different right. level. So, yeah, I've felt that before. Yeah. It's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. Yeah. It's not. It's not. I remember when I was a teenager, I must have been like 15 or 16. And it was like the senior prom night. I was not, I was a sophomore, I think. And my cousins and I decided to, you know, roll out in the car and just kind of hang out and parking lot (laughs) pimp, whatever. (laughs) And just kind of hang with the people, you know, the people who did go to prom kind of hang out with them after the prom. And of course, of course, this was a time when we didn't have cell phones. I didn't have a page or anything. And I didn't get home to like, I was, I was way past curfew. I think we might have gotten home at like three or four o'clock in the morning. And my mom was in the kitchen washing dishes. So I knew I was going to be in trouble, right? That wasn't the issue. I walked in the house. I, I didn't understand it then because, you know, I was still a child. But my mom looked at me and mm. she said, I'm so disappointed in you. Girl, that cut me like nothing before. That was worse than any spanking I have I had ever received. That was worse than any um, punishment. And I didn't even get put on punishment. Like, oh. girl, I felt like caca <laughs> after that. And we never had a moment like that again. And a, another kind of, I guess, more of a more of a Whitley moment. I remember in grad school, girl. Who Jesus, I was ready to like come home and give up. And I was like, you know, mom, it's just not working out. I think before I can even say. I I want to drop out. Girl, my mama was like, well, you know, you come on home. We got to tell nobody why you left. <laughs> she was just like, we just say, you know, you change your mind or this. You know, basically my mom was like, listen, if you want to come home, you come home with your head hung high and whether or not you flunked out, decided not to finish, we ain't got to tell nobody. We can keep that between us, boo. Come on. I, what, what you won't do? I got your back. Yeah, so. that's good. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that's reassuring because, you know, you never know how people are going to react. People kind of yeah, have, uh, yeah. you never know. It's, it's, it can be very tricky when it comes to parents and children because there's, um, you know, this mm-hmm. overlap in accomplishments. The child's accomplishment can easily be your own yeah. accomplishment as a parent. Um, and so, you know, if the child does not accomplish you know, the parent kind of takes that a little personally sometimes and they feel like that's a reflection on them. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's great that your mother had that reaction where she was just like, yeah, you know, all right, fine. You know, it is what it is. No parent is perfect, but I'm, I consider mm-hmm. myself to be quite blessed that I did not have those types of parents. Yeah. Now, in addition to this, uh, you know, these these issues of um, mother daughter relationships. There's another thing that struck me, and I don't know if this was, I'm going to go out on the limb and say this was not purposeful, but it was just something that I just picked up on it. And, you know, let me know if I'm reading into it too much. But it, it was a little tinge of colorism there. So 
first thing that I noticed, so, uh, you know, they had the newspaper that Whitley was holding on the front page was the picture of Karen Louise Thompson. She was the newly crowned Miss Hellman. And the first thing I thought was, oh, look at her. Mm -hmm. She's so nice and brown. This pretty brown girl. And, you know, when Denise comes in to, you know, kind of console her, Whitley says to her, you know, because of course Whitley is, is vain and, you know, she got, she got the cut. When, when she's hurt, she got to hurt other people mm-hmm. <laughs> and try to make herself feel better. So she says, you know, I'm prettier than she is. You're prettier than she is. And I was just like, I know this isn't, this wasn't meant the way that it sounded, but it's really hard to deny what this looks like. Mm. And it looks like these two, two light-skinned women, or, you know, Denise didn't necessarily say anything, but it's a light-skinned woman to another light-skinned woman that they both look better than this darker-skinned woman. And I just, you know, I feel like, not even hmm. if this was done today. I feel like if this was done under Debbie Allen just the following year, it wouldn't have gone down quite like that. They would have they would have had her say something else. So I feel like Debbie Allen would have picked up on, you know, this might be saying more than what we actually want it to say right now. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I definitely did not catch that or pick that up. Not saying that it doesn't exist, but I just that just did not occur to me. Yeah. But, you know, again, I think that's that's the power of writing and and directing and producing, you know, being there to to kind of pick up on these things. Again, these these things might not have even been intentional when you're writing it. You know, it's it's not saying light skinned girl to light skinned girl says that this dark skinned girl is not as pretty. Um, mm-hmm, but, you know, mm-hmm. it comes through with the casting. It comes through with the way that you say yeah. it. You know, there's other things that come into play simply because of who's saying right. it and how they're saying it. And Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I, I just yeah. found that interesting. I, I'm sure I've seen this episode several times, but it wasn't until just now that I was like, hmm, mm-hmm. that, that didn't feel too good. Yeah, I'll be honest. I think when that particular scene came up, I might, because, you know, it was towards the end. I may not have been as engaged in the show because I don't even remember seeing. I remember mm-hmm. Whitley having the paper, but I didn't pay attention mm-hmm. to the picture on the paper. You know, I just I did not tune in yes. or focus on that. So H- had I done that, I may have that may have resonated with me. But also, you know. As I was watching it, I, I do think um, that may have caused me to miss that as well. All right. so. Uh, let's talk about how this episode might be different if it were done today. What do you think would have been different? Uh, I think, well, today the conversation would not have simply revolved around, um, gender dynamics being bifurcated in terms of male, female, you know, there would have been discussions of gender fluidity and, you know, Mm non-binary, et cetera, et cetera. I think there would have been more dialogue amongst the student Mm -hmm. population and amongst peers about gender, uh, you know, what it means, why we even have a Miss Hillman, uh, you know, do we need the prefix Miss? (laughs) We might have gotten into a discussion about gender pronoun, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the storyline would have had more enriched dialogue concerning gender norms. I agree. I agree. I think it would have been a much more complicated conversation. It would have been 
more than just a, mm-hmm. a stunt. Um, there would have been some real, uh, some deeper implications there. And I'm not 100% sure the students would have been that as opposed as they were in this episode. Oh, and definitely not. The students, Kappa Lambda knew wasn't fraternity was it kappa lambda kappa lambda new uh-huh. oh girl they would have been like before a school council <laughs> right <laughs> for you know for their intimidation factors and bullying etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know that may have come into play as well yeah. yeah another thing i thought about while watching this you know sometimes we talk about we bring up uh, parallels when we were in school and differences etc etc um i'm not sure when but I follow Tougaloo College on Instagram. And so just this year, I realized, well, actually, I just started following my alma mater on Instagram this year. But uh, Tougaloo has a Mr. Tougaloo College now. Mm. When I was in school, it was just Miss Tougaloo. Now we have a Miss and a Mr. Tougaloo College. So. Oh. All right, evolution. I was like, yeah, I was going to say, you know, so there's definitely been some evolution since since then, in terms of that aspect of campus culture. You know, and in the future, there might be just a, you know, person to glue college, like getting getting right. away from that, you know, gender binary. Right, thing. exactly. Because the role is really to be an ambassador for the college. Mm-hmm. So it may become college ambassador. Right, yeah, yeah. So we shall see. It's it's very interesting to, again, to look back and see how mm-hmm. young people uh, talked or at least how grown folks thought that young people <laughs> talked about these things and, and how they wrestled mm-hmm. with these ideas and then how how things have evolved now. You know, the vocabulary even that we have, um, just the layman vocabulary now that has entered into the zeitgeist, you know, the mm-hmm. gender mm-hmm. binary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah you know, uh, intersex, gender fluidity, um, transgender. These mm-hmm. are things that people were not saying, you know, just on, on the street back mm-hmm. in the eighties. If, if people were talking about it, it was people who were in those uh, communities right. or possibly, right. you know, these were in ivory tower kind of environment. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah. So right. very interesting. All right. Well, I think it is time for us to do our rankings and wrap this thing on up. Um, I'll give this one a two, two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I think I will give this a, I'm gonna give it a two. I'll give it a two. I think there was a little, a little something there with the, with the gender. You know, I'm gonna give it a 2.5. You're right. I think it, I shouldn't rank it with a lot of the other stuff. This was, this was a little more, this was a little meatier. Had a little more meat on it. I'm gonna stick with my two. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go with my two. I'm gonna go with my two point five. I'm gonna do my two point five. Fair enough. All right, y'all. So that does it. We have reviewed episodes sixteen and seventeen here. Thanks yes. so much for hanging in there with us on this installment of Hillman Class Reunion Podcast. I am Dr. Portia Flowers. And I'm Dr. LaBronza Ely. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Twitter at Hillman Reunion, Instagram at Hillman Class Reunion, Facebook at Hillman Class Reunion. And our original intro and outro music was produced by our friend and brother, Daquan Bowens. 
You can get more information about him at DaquanBowens.com. That's D-E-Y-Q-U-A-N-B-O-W-E-N-S.com. Go see what this man is all about. Hey. Yes. This track is hot. So we hope that you join us for the next episode of Hillman Class Reunion. Take care. Bye. Peace out. Bye.